Today on Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe and Big Al are all about investing strategies and retirement preparedness. They'll take a look at a strategy a listener has set up for his parents and run the numbers on their variable annuity. They'll kick the tires on an early retirement plan for a couple in their 40s, and they'll discuss portfolio allocations of large, medium, and small equity funds. Plus, the fellows will make some suggestions you might not expect to hear on YMYW. Investing books and target date funds, are you kidding me? And because no YMYW is complete without at least a little Roth talk, they'll also touch on how Roth contributions might affect financial aid for education. I'm producer Andy Last, and here are the hosts of Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. So we got Joe writes in from Philly, and then Joe actually writes a novel. Um, <laughs> wow, this goes on pages, at least yeah, the second got, page. Yeah, we got a few. Yeah, This is called Taking Advantage. Yeah, it's getting your financial plan for free on the radio. That's fine. Joe, that's what we're here for, brother. He goes, hey, Andy, spelled right? Uh, yes, yes, it is. Big a- Al and A-N-D-A. Joe. This is Joe from Philly. Look at Andy, get front billing. What's that all about? Well, she's the best. I'm 31 years old, however. My question are in regards to my parents, who are terrible with money. Before I became knowledgeable in regards to investment strategies, etc., they were with an FA who put them in terribly high expense ratio mutual funds, had no dividend reinvestment, no Roth accounts, and lastly, a variable annuity really, really bad. I tossed the FA a cup. We tossed them. You tossed them. Tossed them. Yeah, that's that'd be fun. Joe to watch. from Philly, he's like, you know what? I'm said, tossing your ass out. Forget this. <laughs> You're tossed. I would have loved to have seen that. Uh, I tossed the FA a couple of years ago, and I've completely overhauled their accounts to meet what I feel is a good investment portfolio, consistent of low-cost mutual funds, and will continue to convert to Roth IRA funds to the top of the 12% tax bracket every year. All right, so here's mom and dad's stuff. Uh, $600,000 in an IRA uh, for uh, another $200,000 in a traditional IRA. So $800,000 in IRAs, $50,000 in a Roth IRA, $30,000 in a brokerage account, $50,000 in cash. Got a, uh, an annuity, uh, $200,000. Total liquid assets is $1.1. Uh, Social Security will be taking a full retirement age. They are both 57 and a half years and will retire at 58. Well, good for them. Look at Joe from Philly. Tossing that FA out and getting mom and dad to retire early. Get, getting them on track. Dad plans on keeping a part-time job, $12,000 a year. So he enjoys working at a golf course and gets free golf. Ooh, that sounds like you. Wow. Joe, you're getting a free financial plan. I'm going to Philly playing golf with dad. <laughs> Here's a summary of the info. I hope you guys um, hate it when you don't. I know you guys hate it when you don't have all the info. So hopefully I gave you enough. Yeah, I think you, you, you went overboard. <laughs> page page here, and a half, yeah. Okay. They ran in Florida, married finally jointly with uh, that will have health insurance covered by employer, $75 a month premium until Medicare. Annual income needed in retirement is $50,000 per year. Social Security taken at 67, 2,000, 1,000 mile drawing, 50% spousal benefit. Okay. So the, the, the goal is $50,000 in retirement. Dad's going to work part-time. He got 12. So they need $38,000. Yeah, they got 1.1. They got 1.1 million, so 3.8% burn rate. And that's before Social Security. Before Social Security. So that's looking pretty good. Okay. Uh, My last venture is to figure out this annuity and what's the best move. I tried reading the 121-page prospectus 
uh, Googling stuff and looking at the account investments, and I'm still lost. Here's the annuity information. Uh, we got a Prudential Premier Retirement B Series purchased eight years ago for $120,000. Surrender value of 210, death benefit 210, lifetime income basis of 220,000, uh, steps up 67 and guaranteed growth rate of 5%, guaranteed lifetime income of $8,000 per year. Um, annuals, um, an annualization date, 2057. WTF, why is this so late? It's <laughs> like, man, what the? Uh. Uh, they haven't withdrawn anything yet. It looks like they are getting $500 withdrawn every three months as a miscellaneous fee with some other BS. Which is some BS. It is BS. I totally agree with you, Andy. <laughs> Having a hard time figuring this all out, but overall this annuity seems bad, real bad. So my questions are, number one, if they take the surrender value now, Will they have a 10% penalty since they are under 59 and a half, correct? Uh, that is true. So if they took the money out of the variable annuity, uh, it depends though. Uh, I, Joe, one key thing you're missing here. Yes. Is it non-qualified or qualified? That is the key question. In other words, is it in a retirement account or not? So if it's not in a retirement account, yes, they'll pay taxes on the gain plus penalty. If it's in a retirement account, you could easily get out of the, the, the annuity and put it into your low-cost mutual fund portfolio. Yeah, you'll, they'll still have surrender charges, but, but there's no tax and penalty. Well, it says surrender value 10, 210,000. Lifetime income is 224. So yeah, I don't pretty, know. it's pretty close. Maybe, yeah. I don't know if they'll have. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe not. But the lifetime income is something different, and I can explain that. Okay. Um, do you think they should stay in the annuity or surrender it and put the money into a brokerage account to invest in bonds, then draw? down during retirement. Um, all right, so this helps if it's a brokerage account, maybe it is non-qualified. Do I wanna surrender that thing and put it into a brokerage account into straight bonds to draw down? Yeah, that makes it sound like it's a brokerage, non-retirement. Right, uh, non-qualified annuity. No, I don't like that idea. I don't mind surrendering it, uh, but I, I, you, you gotta be, you just don't wanna put it all in bonds, right? Um, you wanna do maybe the opposite here. Uh, number three, do you pick the date when you start withdrawing in the annuity after 59 and a half and start getting the $8,000 or whatever it grows to? I read that damn prospectus and I'm now more confused. Thanks for your help and I love the podcast. I listen to you guys every day as I go to work for the man so I can retire ASAP. All right, Joe. Okay, so let me, let me help him out. So mom and dad bought an annuity. So there is a guaranteed growth rate and that guaranteed growth rate is not on the principal. It's based on the lifetime income. So it's a guaranteed income benefit rider that they have on this annuity product. So they put in a, a couple hundred thousand or $120,000 eight years ago. So let me just make sure my math is tight. 120,000, eight years. Um, 5i, future value there, okay. So we got um, death benefit of $210,000, lifetime income is 224. And so the guaranteed growth rate, 224,000, five there is 11, okay. This $8,000 a year doesn't make any sense to me because their lifetime benefit is 224. If I look at 8,000 into 224, right? 
That's 3.5% guaranteed. That's not great. That's awful. Usually you see a 5% guaranteed on that income because they'll give them a roll-up. Um, and then they'll say, I'll, you'll, you'll get a guarantee of X throughout. Yeah, and that's based upon a factor. And you, yeah, that's right. I've usually seen with you that 5%. Yeah. So if I'm looking at 120000 so they start taking income. Um, and I'm not sure when the income turns on here, but let's just say it's 65. Um, steps up at 67. So it's going to take 15 years with that $8,000 guarantee uh, for them to make a dime on this product. To get their money back. To get their money back. And that's one of the problems. You think you got this great rate of return and you're basically just getting your money back in 15 years. Right. So they're giving you 8000 They're giving your folks $8,000 a year. They're but they already put in $120,000. They're giving them back their own money. They're giving them back their own money over a 15-year time period, and they're taking that, you know, the money, and they're investing it to try to get a lot higher rate of return. That's why insurance companies are very profitable. So if you look at it that way, it's just that you have to figure out what the internal rate of return is on the overall product, not these, these BS returns that they're kind of saying that they're giving you because you truly don't get the 5% because that's a roll-up, I'm, I'm guessing. Um, so do you get out of it? I would, I, I would imagine the fees on this thing is probably 4% with all the bells and whistles on this thing, or maybe three and a half. So if I go at $220,000 is the cash surrender value, let's say your fees are three and a half percent. They're paying $7,000, $7,700 a year for the product to get an $8,000 a year guarantee. Right. So the fees they're paying are going to pay their income. Right. Joe, is this all making sense? Is this helping you find your way? I would do this. I would go to Vanguard, open up a very low-cost variable annuity, do a 1035 exchange or 1031, 1030, yeah, 1035. 1035. 1035 exchange from this product into a very low-cost, no fee, no gimmick variable annuity until they turn 59 and a half. And then you could potentially get out, but they're going to have a 200 some odd thousand dollar tax gain here because they put $120,000 in the cash surrender values, 210. So they got, you know, a hundred thousand dollars of gain here. Right. All of that is going to be taxed at ordinary income rates. So if you want to keep it in the annuity and slowly bleed out that gain, you could do it that way. Keep them in lower brackets. Maybe sort of focus on that for the income for the first several years. Right. That could, that could be a way. Because if you blow out of this thing, they're going to get hammered in tax. Yeah, for sure. Tax plus penalty right now. Yeah. So, yeah, they, they would lose half of this thing. They right. would just get their bases back. Right. And the insurance company would say, hey, thank you very much. Yeah, we we really appreciate doing business with you. Free money for eight years. Yeah, right. So, um, I don't think they need the guaranteed income because they're spending $50,000 a year. Joe Sr., He's working at the old country club, making a few bucks, playing free golf, right? Having a couple of pops on the 19th hole. He needs, you know, some walking around money. He could delay his social security to probably age 70 because the distribution rate on the total assets that they have is three and a half percent. So you start bleeding three, three and a half percent out until age 70 versus 67 or I don't care. Take it at 67. And then all of a sudden your distribution rate is going to be probably one and a half. Very low. It's very low. You because can, they're right, their Social Security and uh, will we'll, we'll cover a lot of their, their living expenses. 
So the, the whole plan looks fine financially. It's just a matter of making it better. And yeah, this, uh, this annuity doesn't sound like a great long-term product for them, for sure. Well, I, I guess what's the rationale? It's not an investment, first of all. It's not an investment. It's an insurance product. And so if they want to transfer risk to get a guaranteed income, then keep the product, right? But just know that you're not going to get returns like an investment, just like with any insurance. It's insurance. It's income. So people look at this, it gets sold as an investment, but it's not an investment at all. If you're looking to say, hey, you know what? I want a guarantee of $8,000 a year for the rest of my life, then keep the product. But your internal rate of return on that product is going to be significantly lower than you could probably do outside of the product, but then you're subject to risk. There is no guarantee. So then you're taking on stock market risk, interest rate risk, inflation, all sorts of different risks if you get outside of the product. So there's trade-offs. So those are the decisions, show that I would make. I wouldn't worry. You know, it's like what's done is done. If you go, mom and dad, this is going to give you a guaranteed $8,000 a year. And there you go. It's not going to be adjusted for inflation. It's probably going to give you a a rate of return over your lifetime, depending on how long they live. Maybe your mom and dad live into 125, and this could be an awesome product. So if it's sold as an investment, it's dog, you know what? But if they bought it to say, I want a certain guaranteed income, then it, it is what it is. It's, it's longevity insurance. You can look at it that way. You got it. So, all right. Well, Joe, hopefully that helps. Um, keep working for the man. And um, maybe you should be a financial advisor. Yeah. CFP. And he could he could toss out the ones he didn't like. Yeah, you could just be the top. You know, kind of clean up our industry. Yeah, exactly. Learn even more about variable annuities by checking out the free resources in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app to learn what variable annuities are and to find out some truths about them from one of Pure Financial's affable senior financial planners, Matt Balderston, CFP. While you're there, you can also download our retirement readiness guide for free to learn tips to make sure you're on track for retirement or early retirement, as the case may be with our next question. And if you have money questions, click Ask Joe and Al on air in the podcast show notes and send those questions in as a voice message or an email. Uh, Karen from Florida writes in. Hello, Joe, Al and Andy. Love your podcast and have learned so much from all of you. Thank you. Uh, My husband and I live in Florida and planning to retire in three to five years. He's 40 years old and works for the fire department. I'm 42 years old and a registered nurse. So you're going to retire 45. That's a hell of a... That's a great thing. That's a hell of a... Right. right. We are happily child-free. Yeah. Go Karen. Oh, all right. I believe we are on track to retire, uh, but I want to make sure I'm not missing uh, some key elements that can derail our plans. Current expenses, $60,000 a year. And plan to maintain this level of spending in retirement, maybe even less since we plan to spend months in other countries where the cost of living is lower. Currently, we have a net worth of $1.1 million. $300,000 in a 403B, maxing that out. $457,000, uh, $150,000 there, maxing that out. Two Roth IRAs, $200,000. And then two brokerage accounts, $144,000, contributing $54,000 combined. One brokerage account specifically for the purpose of a home in the future, 240000 no contributions. Okay. So they got three total brokerage accounts? Two brokerage accounts, 144000 
Yeah. And one joint one, brokerage account specifically to purchase the home. So we can't really count that in the net worth because. So they each have one and then they have one together. Because they, they need it for a home. Got it. Cash, $100,000. Husband also has a pension of approximately $17,000 a year to start at 62. Reduced amount since he'll retire early. And we should also qualify for Social Security, but it will just be icing on the cake. For the first 15 years of retirement, we plan to use the bucket method in our withdrawal strategy. Oh, the bucket method. I wonder who that <laughs> came from. I don't know. Cash, $10,000 a year. Brokerage, $30,000 a year. 457B, $24,000 a year. 403B to Roth conversion, $48,000 a year. I believe this strategy will keep us in the 12% tax bracket. Okay. 30, 40, 50, 60, 40. Yes, you are right. We'll definitely keep you in the 12% tax bracket. Well, plus the Roth conversion. You got to add that in. Uh, so, so call it, call it one. 10 approximately minus standard deduction. Yeah. It's close. It's close. Um, at retirement, we plan to be more conservative in our investments, maybe 60, 40 stocks to bond split. What am I missing? Thanks so much. Okay. Let's kind of look at this here. Um, well, if, if we sort of summarize this, so they've got 1.1 million, but they want to earmark, earmark about 240 for a house. So really, and I'll just round it to their benefit. They got 900,000 to work with and they're trying to produce 60,000 of income per year, right? Uh, let me just, I'm doing the math again here. Um, 200 and then we got 150, that's 821, 100,000 cash. I got 921 plus the 240, right? 1.1. 1. 1. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think you got 900 to work with and you're trying to produce uh, 60 grand, right? So that's a distribution rate of over 6%. At 45. At 45. And probably, I don't know whether, Karen, you've considered health insurance, which is at least a minimum 1000 bucks a month for each of you. So that's another 12 grand right there. So I think this is pretty tight. Uh, $900,000. Let's say that's what their working capital is to create income. At yep. 45, I would use a 3% distribution rate. I would too. So that would be $27,000 of income that you would be able to generate. So not 60. Right. So if you want $60,000 of income, uh, 0.03 divided is 2 million bucks. So if you can make the $1.1 million into $2 million in the next four five, to three to five, five years, years yep, right. um, well, then you got something. Because let's see, $1.1 million is the present value. They're saving $54,000 into the brokerage account, plus they're maxing out um, the 403B and 457. So they're, they're saving roughly $100,000 a year. Probably. Let's call it $90,000. Yeah, saving a lot. Right? 50 plus 40 is 90 plus. Well, 20, yeah, call it 20 and 20 on 401ks. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So ninety thousand. But I would start with nine hundred, not one point one. No, I did, that's what I did. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Five years. So you get seven percent because you're all in stocks. Future value of that is two million bucks. Okay. So if you can save a hundred thousand dollars a year for the next five years and get seven percent on your money, uh, that would equate to about two million bucks. And then you take three percent onto that, and that could probably get you close to your income. Now, so 
That's right. So a couple, couple more things besides health insurance. If you're going and living in other countries, are you giving up your home here? Because otherwise, basically, you've got double expenses where you're staying plus your vacant home here, unless you're renting it out or something like that. Mm -hmm. So just be aware of that. I think what we normally see more often than not is when people do something like this, they end up spending more than they're currently spending because they're kind of on vacation, if you will, right? They're, they're, wanting, they're wanting to go out and do things. So just be careful of that. Think, think carefully about what you really do want to spend. Yeah, and then Karen, also, if you're retiring at 45 years old, your Social Security benefit's gonna be pretty low. Um, just because it's the highest 30 years and you have lots of years where you're not working. Right. Um, so yeah, it could be icing on the cake, but as a firefighter, um, here in yeah, there might be Southern California, the firefighters get a fairly significant pension. They do. And that's not listed. Here, and that, so, but he, so, they said husband will have a pension of $17,000 a year oh, starting at 62. Oh, 62. Yeah. That's, okay. That's not a, that's not a ton. Maybe he hasn't done that for a long time. But, I mean, that's why I was thinking early retirement as a firefighter. We see firefighters retire early all the time. Yeah, and they end up making 70% of their income. Yeah, or 90. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> so if you're a chief, it's 120% of your income. <laughs> see some big numbers on that. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, I, Karen, I like your thinking. I, I just think um, just be careful on the numbers because you don't have enough capital right now to do this. But if you save and earn a certain rate of return, you probably would. But I'm a little concerned you might be spending more than you, than you think. Plus, in five years, there's inflation. So 60 is going to be more than 60. So just a couple things like that to think about. Now, sometimes when people really want to do this, and I'm not telling you not to do it, I'm all for it. But you, one of you or both of you might need to have some kind of part-time income just to plug the gap. So just, just be aware of that. Right. I mean, think of it like this, is that if you want to – if you're 45 years old, right? Can, and you, then, can you relate? I can relate, <laughs> right? Um, I want to retire too, Karen. I want to travel <laughs> with you, all right? I'm single, no kids, right? I'm part of, it's a trio. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You're Karen, all, myself, and the firefighter. Yeah, you're all, yeah. There you go. We're about the same age. And, right. You know, no kids. No kids. No, you're married. That's fine. I'm, I'll third wheel it. Well, we have to find out where they want to travel because you don't like traveling. <laughs> I <know>. I, <laughs> That's the problem. So we'll have to figure that out. Yeah. You know, then we'll throw in my few bucks and we'll, we'll call it good. Maybe that's the way to go. Maybe. Um, so, uh, but for being in 40, 42 years old and having 1.1 million is, that's, is, it's incredible, is, is phenomenal. Yeah. It's saving a hundred thousand dollars a year. Congrats. And, but I, I know the, the feeling of, all right, well, here, I got a million bucks. So I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Because that, yeah. that kind of was everyone's goal for a long time. Right. Um, so a million dollars is still a ton of money. But when you equate it into income at 40, it's not as much as you might think. So here's what, here's how we kind of think about that. If you're 65 and you got a million bucks, you can probably use a 4% distribution rate. So that's 40,000 of income. At 45, since the, the dollars have to last so much longer, we might want you to do a lower percentage. That's why we said 3%. But also, they got at least 40-year life expectancy. Sure. That's given today's technology in regards to healthcare. If we were Rick Edelman, yeah. we would we're, say- He would go live to 120. He would go live to two. He would say, you can't, you can't retire until you're 75. Yeah, and you're going to have 17 careers. <laughs> 
<laughs> he does say that. You're going to go back to school 14 times. All right. Um, I love Rick Kellerman. Just FYI. <laughs> <laughs> I do too. I, I know him by first name. Ooh. Wow. Look at you, Al. Just, you're just your celebrity status. Name dropping. <laughs> can, can, can I help you pick that up? <laughs> oh, God. All right. Thanks, Karen. Good luck. We got another question. Uh, Clint writes in. Hi, Andy, Big Al, and Joe. Uh, my wife had a no-cost $10,000 account with Motif, which was a trading fund that dealt with sustainable energy in eco-friendly companies. Um, they sold, right? Yeah, Motif was sold uh, to or bought to Folio, who is now managing the account at a rate of $220 a month. My wife is uncomfortable with trading and paying a monthly fee. She is now asking me for advice. This is where YMYW comes in. Can you direct me to a path of happiness where I can appear to be a hero of advice? Are there other zero-cost investment strategies that can safely manage a $10,000 investment? Uh, It's not player retirement money. She would also like to make more than a CD or savings account. Uh, Would a money market account be something to look into? Thanks, uh, Clint. Okay. All right. Well, first of all, there was a fee. She just didn't know what she was paying within – Motif. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty small. Uh, but now they're charging 20 bucks a month on $10,000. It's a couple hundred bucks on 10 grand. I can see, hey, yeah, you know what? It's kind of almost, egregious. Almost two and a half percent. So plus if they kept the the actual chassis of the investment in place, you know, there's some Yeah, you're paying there. for nothing, right? Yeah. Unless you're going to be trading. Right. Um, yeah, you could do a couple of things, Clint. Maybe... Well, Charles Schwab has zero transaction fees um, on some you uh, yeah, know, on, target date funds or things like that. Yeah. If she wants a trading account, um, there's Robinhood. They're in the news quite a bit. They are. Uh, lately. They've Rob- got some uh, technical issues, right? Well, yeah, because it's a ton of hot money. <laughs> I mean, right? You got to, I mean, it's the millennials. Right. You got some, some. The average balance of a, of a Robinhood account is 2000 bucks. A couple grand, okay. And they got like 6 million people on there. Right, right, right. Sure. And then so we're getting questions from clients of saying, you know, people are gambling and how is this going to affect my overall account? And it's like, okay, well, first of all, you know, BlackRock is not gambling. Yeah. Um, they're individuals that are gambling with their overall investment accounts. Right. You know, day trading's back. Yeah, you know, you've right. Got Dave Portnoy out there from Barstool Sports, making it fun because there's no sports on. Yeah, so you might as well do day trading. It's yeah, like, day trading. It's like horse racing. Gamble. <laughs> right. Right? So, I mean, there, there's a ton of press on that stuff. Right. Uh, and a lot of the, the investors on Robinhood were, were putting money into the overall accounts during the pandemic and still doing so. Um, they're loving to see the market just crumble. They're like, oh, great buying opportunity. Right. Um, so, and then some of them are losing their shirts um, and so on and so forth. So right. you could go into Robinhood. It's free. There's free trading there. Okay. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure if Clint's asking us that she just wants a, a set and forget it type of investment strategy that does, just to avoid the $20 a month fee. Yeah, that could be. And it needs to be, sounds like it needs to be relatively safe. Yeah. But if she's, she had a sustainable energy fund. 
<laughs> but right. it's a little mixed up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, 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 so, so one thing, she would like to make more than a CD or savings account. Would a money market account be something to look at? The answer to that is no. Money market accounts paid almost nothing. Well, yeah, but it's the, the, almost the same as a CD or a savings account. Well, yeah, but a CD generally pays more money. money the banks that I've been to, including my credit union, the money market is pays like a checking account, almost nothing. I mean, maybe 0.01%. You know, a hundredth of a percent. But it seems like you're pretty upset uh, about that. Uh, yeah, Steve. <laughs> so, it's not paid me anything. So then I, I opened up a CD. You know what I got on that? What? One. There you go. I got a full percent. You got a point. <laughs> but anyway, so, you know, the, the it as far as what to invest in, it depends upon what the money's for. If you're going to need the money in the next three years, then, then uh, CD, money market savings, is probably your way to go because you never know what the market's going to do in the short term. Um, are there other zero-cost investment strategies that can safely manage $10,000? Okay, well, he's asking for a strategy. You could go into like a... Vanguard, you know, target date fund. That's a strategy yeah. that has stocks and bonds that is somewhat conservative, depending on what year that, you know, you want to pick, you could pick the um, retiring in 2020. So it's going to be mostly bonds. It's fairly inexpensive. You know? What's the the name of that book? The, the best investment book you'll ever read. I forget the author of that attorney. Dan Solon. Yeah. That's, that's a book he could read, right? He's and not asking for a book. He's he that, called that, us but that'll give him, we're, we're the ones that read the books. I know, but I'm going to give him the strategies. Go get that book and read it. It's not that long. True. Or you could listen to Joe talk for the next like, four minutes. He's like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> I was a fan. Not anymore. Um, sorry, buddy. Um, wish that out. I hope, hope hopefully that out. But there's Schwab that's had zero trade, zero um, ETF, you know, very low cost. Fidelity, Vanguard, they well, all have strategies that they, are very low cost. But I'll go back to that book. What's it called? The best investment book you'll ever read. I yeah, think that's what go. it's called. Yes. Anyway, so, and you can just skip to the chapter on whatever. Building a portfolio. Yeah, right. And and he goes over how much to put in, like, you pick three or four different funds and you're done. Okay. That's a strategy. Yeah. I mean, it's total U.S. stock market, total international market. Yeah, small. that's right. To total bond market. It's, total it's actually those three. Yep. Yep. And then it's just a variation of that. Yep. All right. Uh, cool. Thanks. Uh, thanks for the email, Clint. Hey, how is your investment mix? And why is it like that? Learn the ways to grow your investments in all market environments, how to avoid poor investing decisions, and how to protect yourself from risk. Download eight timeless principles of investing for free from the podcast show notes just before the transcript of today's episode. That white paper will help you feel more confident in your portfolio, even in times like these when markets are volatile. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app to go to the show notes and download eight timeless principles of investing and to ask Joe and Al your money questions. Speaking of investment principles, let's talk now about portfolio allocation. Uh, we got uh, Stephen uh, writes in from Orange County. He goes, hi, Joe, Big Al and Andy. Continue to appreciate your podcast for the knowledge and humor. Uh, you guys do a really good job. I'm nine years away from needing to access my retirement funds to live on. Other than the RMD starting in five years, which will be reinvested into a brokerage account, I have two questions. My retirement funds are presently divided between 65% equities, 35% fixed income. I'm mostly a moderate aggressively investor 
and was wondering what percentage of my equity position would your firm usually recommend the asset allocation be located in between large, medium, and small funds as well as between U.S. and foreign funds? Um, okay, so Steve's looking at, all right, well, what, what would our portfolio look like? If what, what's, what, what, what's the makeup of our portfolio? Yeah, what's the split between um, foreign and domestic and large, medium, and small? With a 65-35 split? <clears throat> right. Or is he asking us what the split should be <laughs> well, in regards to, because that's the first decision you want to make we, when you're constructing the portfolio. Yeah, we can answer. Well, let's start there, right? And I think that the way you figure out how much the split should be is based upon your own needs and goals and a required rate of return. And we, we always believe that it makes sense to have the most conservative portfolio possible to be able to achieve the, the rate of return that you need. And so maybe 65% equities is the right number, maybe not, but that's where a little financial planning comes in, into place. It's like, you know, how much do you want to spend in retirement? What kind of fixed income do you have? Social security pension, what's your shortfall that has to come from your investments? You divide that into your total investments. What rate of return is that? And then you design a portfolio to try to achieve that. And I got to say, if it's, if you're getting much more than six or 7%, you're kind of in the danger zone in terms of a required rate of return. So you might want to think about either cutting expenses or working part-time or something like that. You mean that if my required rate of return is 8% for me to get the distribution yeah, that I need to right. combat inflation? Exactly. And, yeah. and and plus you got to add an inflation factor, right? So if, if you're getting 6%, you might need to earn eight just to be able to have enough kept in your portfolio for inflation. So in other ways that you don't want to take out more than roughly three and a half, four percent out of the portfolio. That, yeah, that's another way to say it. Yep. <laughs> so we're finding all sorts of ways to save <laughs> a four percent. But isn't that educational, right? Um, okay. So I guess to kind of give you a high level, what what the mix would be? Let's say if we you had a sixty forty or sixty five thirty five. Uh, equity to fixed income split, we would probably have 60% of that in, of the equities in um, domestic, 40% in international, give or take. Probably it would be tilted more towards value type companies. Um, small companies, we would probably have a 10% exposure. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I got some recent stats from uh, uh, Statista statista.com okay well so this is uh u.s uh, this is ca capitalization in other words the value of all the companies in the world 54 percent of the value is in united states and the, oh, the total market total market capitalization got it yep the second biggest country is japan at 7.7 .7, so it's a lot lower and then followed by uk at five percent and china at four so one way you could say is well maybe 55, 60% in US, which is, you know, which is what you just said, which, which I agree with. That and the, I didn't even need Statista to help me with that. I know, that was right off the top of your head. You just like hear it and respond <laughs> yes, like a computer. That was good. Anyway, here, here's what I have to add to that though. And that is um, some people find they don't really 
like to invest that way because all they look at is the Dow and S&P. Well, yeah, you got to look at the appropriate benchmark you, as you you're do. investing. Or but some people just don't, right? And because then we're bombarded with S&P or Dow did this today, right? So if you're, if you're investing 60% in U.S. stocks, then only 60% of your equities are going to follow U.S. So just be aware of that. Some people have troubles with that. We call that tracking error. Mm-hmm. So tracking error, you have a different rate of return than what the S&P 500. And if, and if that's you, then do more than 60%, go 80% US or, or 90%. Well, I still don't think that's the right advice. I, th- I think, well, just it, because they're, they're, they're not necessarily following the right benchmark. So here, let's have a really crappy portfolio so that you can better <laughs> benchmark your portfolio watching well, CNBC. Well, let me, right? well, here's what I mean to say, I guess, uh, is sometimes when people, they, they're, they don't, they don't track the S and P 500 and then they get, they, they, they get disenchanted with the whole investment thing. And, and then they, they, they make poor decisions. But if it was 2000 through 2010, they'd be pleasantly surprised. I know. Right. And, and the truth is if you, if you actually, now, if you, if you look back, you know exactly what the percentages should be. If, if from 2000 to 2010, you should have been a hundred percent foreign. And nothing yeah, well, yeah. in the U.S. And from 2010 to 2020, should have been 100% in the U.S., but you never know w- what's going to be better. Right, if you had a crystal ball backwards, right? Yeah, you could. yeah that would be good. Um, but yeah, a globally diversified portfolio, I would recommend you know, 50, 60% in um, U.S., 40% in non-U.S., uh, just because of the market capitalization, as Alan talked about. Um, you know, 40% or 45% of the market cap is is not in the U.S. It's That's still right. Globally, so correct. Yeah, uh, you you, you want to make sure that you get exposure there. Um, what percentage would we have in small, medium, large? I mean, you you could do it uh, depending on how sophisticated you want to get here, Stephen. I'm not sure how much money that you have. What's in non-qualified versus qualified versus Roth? Because each of those different accounts want to have different asset classes in it, just because of the taxation. Um, and what the overall demand of the portfolio is. He's nine years away needing access to retirement funds. So, um, well, I think, so he's still 10 years out. Yeah. Um, so you, you, you kind of want to get a glide path to slowly get more conservative. Yeah, that's true. Uh, true so that. there, there, there's there, there's a bunch of different things, but high level, you know, you can tilt the portfolio more towards small and value. You're going to have more volatility. You're going to um, – have more risk in the equity side of the port, uh, portfolio, but you'll probably get a higher expected return in the long run. But one thing I want to say on that is if you look at a cross section of, of companies out there that you can invest in, they're mostly large. I mean, the, the biggest market capitalization. So if you just like try to pick the U.S. total stock market, for example, which Vanguard and others have funds that kind of mirror that, it's going to be mostly large because that's what there is to invest in. So when we say tilt towards value or tilt tilt towards small, you might only have six or seven, eight percent instead of four percent, right? It's not like it's we're saying do fifty percent and small. It's just tilt a little bit more that way. You get a higher rate of return over the long term. But what you're giving up for that is uh, what you're receiving with that is volatility. So it's a little bit more of an uncertain ride. Right. I mean, if you think of it like this, is that let's say you have a cherry pie, right? And then you're going to cut, you're going to put these cherries in the pie or, and then you cut a slice of the pie and there's going to be some cherries in there. Yeah. Right. Hopefully. Right. right hopefully. Or you could get skunked. Because my brother could have been there and picked out the slice before you got your piece. Right. But, 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 but what we're doing is we're trying to jam pack each slice with, you know, 
cherries, yeah. if you will. Right? Yeah. Because if I buy a total U.S. stock market index fund, you're going to have small, mid, and large within that fund, but it's sure. going to be heavily weighted towards large companies just because of how they construct the overall fund. Yeah, You could then split up the funds and say, I want to have a, a fund that's specifically looking at a, an asset class, such as smaller companies. Uh, so then that also is going to be heavily weighted towards the largest, smallest companies. Right. So then that's when you get more on the institutional side of what we do is then they package those different funds up so you can get the best slice of that particular pie. Right. Um, You're getting a two slice. Yeah. Then it's just how it's constructed. Right. So, so, you, so it's, yeah. Instead of having a triple berry pie, you just pick the berry you want. Yeah. There you go. So it's not blueberry, boysenberry, blackberry. <laughs> you can get the blueberry pie. You got it. Got it. All right. Uh, so second question here for um, from Stephen is that um, I plan to start doing Roth conversions for my grandchildren in the years ahead. Um, uh, hold on. Let me read that again. I plan to start doing Roth contributions. I'm sorry for my five grandchildren in the years ahead. My oldest age 16 started working part-time this year. Can um, my son open this account for my granddaughter and I contribute the funds of $6,000 depending on her income uh, yearly for the next few years. As well, would her having a Roth in her name be counted against her with respect to financial need when applying for college loans in several years? Thanks for the input. So he wants to start doing Roth contributions for his five grandchildren. That's great. Uh, which is very cool. But uh, And then I think he gets it is that Stephen's saying, all right, well, here, for them to make, for me to make the contributions on the, the grandchildren's behalf, they need to have earned income. Yeah, which is true. So Agreed. if they're starting to work part-time, yeah, then your, uh, then your son or you can fund those Roth IRAs, but the Roth IRAs would be in the child's name as long as they have $6,000 of earned income. Yeah, or whatever they have. They got $2,500 of income, you can put $2,500 into Roth. And it's, it's just fine that you put it in. It doesn't have to be from her. Right. It, it's not an account like a 401k that it has to come from the paycheck. Right, right. So will it count against... Uh, Loans. Yeah, I think any asset in that case, but I'm not sure how old they are and college will be free by then, Al. That's maybe, <laughs> huh? We'll have to see, right? Um, yeah, it's certainly, uh, if, if you're looking for financial aid, uh, if your grandchildren are looking for financial aid, any assets that they have will definitely count against them. All right, we'll see you next week. Show's called your money wall. Check out some additional free resources on asset allocation in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Just click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app to get there. And get your derails here, coming right up after these words from our sponsor. Your Money, Your Wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors. For a much more detailed and personalized analysis of your financial situation than you can get from listening to this podcast, click the big green button that says get an assessment at yourmoneyyourwealth.com or call 888-994-6257. Schedule that free financial assessment video call with a certified financial planner from Pure and find out if you're actually on track for retirement. Visit yourmoneyyourwealth.com or call 888-994-6257. That's 888-994-6257. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed or 
suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. Joey Anderson here, Big Al Clopine, uh, talking about financial matters stuff. Wow, that was that was smooth. That was that was a really good transition there. <laughs> oh boy! You know what I realized? On these segments, have I been closing on time? Because I don't think I've even looked at this clock. Yeah, you've been closing. Yeah, you have. What do you been mean? You, you just have an innate sense. I just got a feel. You feel it coming. Yeah. Because I'm staring at you. It's yeah. like, come on. How angry would that make you if all of a sudden they made college free? Well, I would just, um, I wouldn't worry about it. You know me. I would go have a yo- yoga session. I would <laughs> have soul and body and I'd let it go. You got pretty heated that one time when we talked about uh, your your college expense. Yeah, well, that's a long time ago, fortunately. So it's kind of faded. It's faded. My youngest is twenty seven. So okay, all right. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. No, I. Yeah, that's my. He went enough to already. University of Calif- uh, Colorado Boulder it was not cheap. <laughs> Which uh, you know, no, I don't want to. Don't want to bring that back, Joe. <laughs> Alrighty. And here's what I sound like when I accidentally have a sample rate conflict. Today on Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe and Big Al are all about investing strategies and retirement preparedness. 